Well, welcome again to Christ's Church. My name is Nate. I'm uh, visiting. I'm a pastor here. And um, let's uh, pray together as we come to look at God's Word. Our Father in Heaven, um, You are worth all things to us. And uh, Lord, we thank You that You speak to us and that you've given us your word. Uh, we ask that you'd open our hearts, um, that you would uh, help us to, uh, to trust Jesus more, to, to love him more. And uh, Lord, we need you to be our teacher. We ask that you'd send your spirit um, to be with us, to guide us, um, to guide our minds, that, uh, that, um, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Send us your spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, we are uh, continuing the study through the Gospel of Luke. We're uh, looking at the first nine chapters of Luke uh, from last November to, to the end of May. And um, the reason, one of the reasons we do that is it, as a church, you know, about 10% of the, of the Bible is about Jesus' life. And yet um, we're going to spend probably every year, we'll spend about half of the year looking at the Gospels. Um, who is Jesus? What did he say? What did he do? Because the center, the center of our faith is not, believing is Jesus is not just something that you, happens when you become a Christian. It's, it's our whole life. It's, uh, it's trusting in him. And uh, so, verse by verse, line by line, we go through the Gospels. So now we're in uh, Luke chapter 7. And uh, so you can turn there if you have a Bible, or you can follow along. It's printed in your bulletin, verse 18, uh, verse 18 through 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many uh, who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are, in, who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This is the word of the Lord, and it's for our good. 
So I was talking to a friend, uh, you know, I was living in St. Louis uh, about a year ago, and I was talking to a friend of mine about kind of a rocky relationship he was having with his girlfriend, and he was telling me that they have that they would have these long, hour-long conversations about the relationship, and she would just, she would start yelling at him. He said, you know, I, I grew up in a family, we didn't yell at each other, I don't know what, I don't know what to do with her yelling at, uh, yelling at me. So on the one hand, you know, I'm saying, you know, it's, this is probably, it's not the best communication style, um, you. but you know, it's interesting why, it was interesting why she was yelling at him. Because he was, he was having these conversations, you know, they're in love, they're trying to make their relationship work out, and he's kind of sitting there very rational, very stoic, very um, okay. And basically she's yelling at him because she wants a response. Are you there? Are you alive? Is there a pulse in there? And, uh, and, and so because, you know, she wants him to yell back or something. Because basically, if, uh, if you're angry, it means you at least care. But if you're indifferent, it, that's the ultimate rejection. So what she wants, she wants, I want a heart response from you. I want to know that you're invested, that there's something happening inside of you. And you know, um, if you have children, it, it, it's very similar to children, actually. Uh, Trevor was just telling me he read an article about um, this last week about how children, uh, you know, they will do this outrageous, disobedient behavior. They'll be flailing and doing all these things. And that it's really because they're quite smart and uh, because they want to get a rise out of you. You know, if you're, you know, you're getting them their food and you're putting their clothes on, but they can sense, are you, are you involved in my life? Are you, do you know me? Do you, are you playing with me? Is your heart in this? And they're saying, if your heart's not in it, I'm going to get your heart in this. Okay. Yeah, even if that means you going crazy, getting angry, I'm going to, I'm not going to tolerate, uh, the passiveness and uh, and so that's children are very smart that's what they're doing that's a lot of the, that's what's a lot built into their disobeying they're drawing us out they're drawing their hearts out now um, both uh, you know my my friends girlfriends and children um, you know these are sinful ways to get uh, the relational engagement that you want you're yelling and disobeying and things like that um, but the desire to have someone who's there someone with a pulse someone who's uh, invested whose heart's alive and full that desire that's actually not sinful and the reason for that is because actually that expectation is the same thing that God is expecting it's the same thing that God um, is the same thing that um, God is looking for he doesn't want the stoic rational compliance he want, God wants our hearts and so it's very striking that a passage like this Jesus is uh, talking about um, the religious community in his day, you know, the people who are supposed to love God, um, to be very spiritual. And uh, he, uh, the image that he uses for them is children in a marketplace, and they're singing to one another. Uh, look, uh, look again at uh, verse uh, 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So what, uh, what Jesus is saying is, you know, John the Baptist and I came, we're like, we're like kids coming to you. We're like children. And we want a response. We want you to either be dancing or, or weeping. We want a, a, a heart response. You know, John the Baptist came. Um, he's saying things like, who, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
Um, and you, you see this guy, he's out in the woods, he lives out in the woods, and, and the religious community sees him, he says, oh, this guy, too emotional, too eccentric, um, you know, he probably has a demon, he's probably got some extreme case of ADHD, he's living out in the woods, irrational response, no engagement, no weeping, no, no fear of the wrath, and then, and then Jesus comes, Jesus says, I, I come eating and drinking with sinners. The great feast of God with the, the rejected of the world. I'm coming. I start the great celebration. You're not, you're not dancing. You're not celebrating. You're not doing anything. You're just sitting there saying, oh, um, how uncivilized you are. You're, uh, who you eat and drink with, how uncivilized. A rational response. And um, this kind of, there's no heart. There's no weeping. There's no dancing. And this kind of distant response to Jesus, to what God is doing in the world, this is really what's at the center of religion. Religion is, a, is about a distant, um, uh, stale heart, no vulnerability, no risk, no, uh, no deep engagement. And um, what Jesus is saying is that the religious people in, in, uh, in his day, they weren't dancing, they weren't weeping. And uh, just like how children aren't going to tolerate that from us, they're not going to tolerate just ra- rational things, he's not going to tolerate that either. He's going to draw, 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 draw that out of us. Now, for any, many of us in our spiritual life, um, it's hard to escape the pull towards kind of religion, formalism, formalism of religion. The reason we're drawn to that is because we feel spiritually flat. I don't, I don't feel like dancing or crying. I, I feel normal and flat. Do I want to be engaged with God? Do I want to feel like he's near? Yes, I do. And so uh, what else do I have? We, we found the religion. But Jesus wants to draw something more out of us. And so that's really what we're going to look at in this text. We're going to answer that question really under two headings. First, um, how do we become alive? How do we get a spiritual pulse first? Uh, you have to go down before you can go up. You have to go down before you can go up. And second, um, you only go up to get Jesus. What does that mean? Okay, well, we're going to unpack that. First, uh, you have to go down before you can go up. Now, religion, you know, the hope, kind of the hope and promise of religion is a nice, clean, all-American life, Uh, you know, Things are in order, confidence, happiness. That, that's what. That's the hope of religion. I, I see religious people; they're happy. Everything's in order. Everything's in control. And uh, and for many of us, we have in our minds that when we become a Christian, what what I'm signing up for is I get a nice, clean, happy, all-American life. That's that's what I'm hoping for because you know it seems so in control. My life, my heart seems so chaotic. I'm, it's a mess. It's doing things I can't control. It. I can't. I can't tell my heart what to do. And so I'm. I'm I see. What do Christians do? Christians are nice people. Christians are moral people. Christians, they, they don't have unpredictable things happening. Things are steady. And, uh, and, and at last, I can be in control of my life. Christianity is going to show me a way to be in, in control of my life. So it's interesting. In this passage, uh, you have John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been the spokesperson for Jesus. He's like, Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the Messiah. And now he's in prison. We know from the other Gospels that he's in prison. And uh, Herod the king has put him in prison. And he says, sends these messengers to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, why aren't you doing anything about this? You know, what are you doing? Are you the one Are you the one to come or should we look for another one? This is not, this is not the happy, clean life, right? And so uh, he, sends, he sends the messengers to Jesus. Jesus heals all these people and, and says, sends them back and tells them, uh, sends the messengers back to John and says, tell them what you saw. 
But then in verse 24, Jesus turns to the crowds and he suspects that they're having similar doubts about him. And uh, look at what he says about John uh, in verse 24. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Um, What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, a prophet. Uh, What does this mean? So, uh... John, John's, uh, John's in prison. Jesus is talking to this crowd. And he said, well, you know, when you went out into the woods, John's out in the woods. You got your house. You got your village. You got your job. You got your family. And you left it all. You walked out into the woods uh, to meet this guy who's saying, you know, who, uh, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Why were you out there? Looking for soft clothing, you know, a nice, clean, happy life? That's not what you were looking for. You were looking for a prophet. Who's going to tell me the truth about my life? Who's going to tell me the truth about my heart and about the truth about God? And, you know, John the Baptist, John the Baptist is like the opposite of clean, moral, all-American kind of guy. I mean, John the Baptist, he lives in the woods. Uh, he eats bugs and honey. You know, he's got the little bear with the bugs and he's eating it. He's got a, probably got a giant beard with, you know, mice and birds living in his beard. And, he wears, can't, and, he's, and he's taking people, splashing water on them. You know, the rask coming. I mean... This guy, this guy's out there. It's not, it's not this moral, clean uh, life. And, he, and, and Jesus is saying, what were you expecting when you were going out there? Clean, clean, happy, all-American life? No. You wanted the truth. You wanted the truth about you, and you wanted the truth about God. It's, you know, it's the same thing for us. What are we expecting when we come here? Um, uh, what are we expecting uh, to find out? You know, one of the amazing things about uh, a religious life, when we come into a community like this and we say, I... Um, if our expectations um, that I'm going to have a controlled organized, predictable, uh, orderly life, nice life as a Christian. That's what I'm going to get when I come here. Um, you know, you can live the whole life of religious, form- religious formalism and all the issues of our hearts can go untouched. You know, the fact that we're uh, envious, um, that uh, we desperately want people to approve of us, that we're actually deceitful so that people will think that we're better people than we are. Um, you know, that we're... Um, uh, you know, we're harsh to people that we love morsels of gossip. We would love them. All those things. You can do a whole religious life and all of that that's festering, bubbling underneath that pretension of religion can go completely untouched. And so, um, Jesus is drawing something out more than this. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may know Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's kind of a uh, brilliant young theologian, uh, German theologian from the first half of the 20th century. And uh, he's, he's w- well known for kind of his books on Christian living and, uh, and um, theology and things like that. But uh, one of the things he's also well known for is that in 1939, uh, he left Germany and came to uh, the United States. So Nazism is about to come into power. He's condemned Nazism. And he's safely in the United States. And uh, one of the things that he's famous for is in 1939, he said, you know, if, if Germany's going to fall... And if I'm going to have a and and if I'm going to have a place in its reconstruction and building it back up, if if, if I'm going to have a place in building Germany back up, I got to go back there. So in 1939, he went right back into Nazi Germany. He started an underground seminary, and there were all these underground Christians who were saying Jesus is Lord, Hitler is not, and he was part of the resistance. He was a pastor. He was part of the resistance against Hitler. 
And um, he wrote a book about um, the kind of fellowship of these Christians who were kind of underground Christians who were um, fighting against Nazism called Life Together, which you should read about. It's a short book. It's a wonderful book about Christian community. And at the end of the book, he says that one of the essential things about a Christian community, how is a Christian community going to be alive, going to be real? How is it going to have a pulse and be really hard engaged? He says confessing sin is, is at the center of it. Look at, let me just read you a little part of that. Uh, the final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though we have fellowship with one another as believers, as devout people, we have fellowship as religious people. We do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. We remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are sinners. And what, So what Bonhoeffer is saying is, how does a, a community actually get a pulse? It's not that we show up here as religious people, as the pious, as believers, but as we show up here as sinners. And that's when religion get, what religious gets a pulse. And what religion... Uh, that's how a community gets a pulse. But how, how does our relationship with God get a pulse? It's the same way. How does it get heart engaged? The way down. You have to go down into your sin. You have to, what is really under my heart? And really confessing it. Now, I'll tell you one of the challenges. There's two questions that kind of go with that. How do I really be honest about how sinful my heart is? How deceitful it is? Um, you know, for many of us, we spend our whole life deceiving people. Making them think we're better than we are. Making them think that we're something that we're not. Um, gossiping, being harsh towards people. We spend our whole life doing that. How am I all of a sudden going to be able to notice all those things? I don't even notice them. I just do them all the time. I do them every day. Well, one of the things is we have to hear one another confessing sin. When you hear someone confess their sin, that's going to open up your life. You know, this just happened to me this last week. I had a friend who was confessing to me uh, sin about how uh, he had been... uh, deceiving people that, and even small lies to make them think he was a better person than he was. And immediately when he said that, I just saw many ways that I was doing that the same way. And I was shocked. I didn't even know it was there. And so we have to listen to one another. But secondly, you can say, uh, part of the reason that we don't go into what's really happening in my heart, how do I really interact with people, is because... Um, Okay, I I understand that you must go down before you go up, but how do you know you're not going to go down and there's not going to be a coming up? How do I know I'm not going to dive into the blackness, the confusion, the chaos of my life, the reality of my life? How do I know there's not no coming back up? Well, that's our second point. That leads to our second point. So first, you got to go down into sin. You want uh, an engaged life. A real heart engagement that's not just rational stoicism, it's not just nice, clean, happy life, but an engaged life, you got to go down first. But second, going up, we only go up to Jesus. Going up is, is only going up to Jesus. Now, now when you look again uh, in this passage, you have uh, John the Baptist sends these messengers to Jesus. Are you the one, or should we look for another? Look again at Jesus' response in verse 22. Go and tell John uh, what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
I don't know about you. What does that last line mean? What is? Why is that offensive? You know, he's healing people. People are, you know, blind and lame, and then Jesus is healing. Why is that offensive? I mean, well, you'd be happy, right? You'd be happy. People are oh, dead erased. People's problems are getting solved. That's not offensive. But that's for us, because for most of us, we read this list and we see things like lame, leprous, blind, and we say, oh, these are physical problems. But one of the things that Luke brings out in his gospel is that all those things, those aren't physical problems. They're mainly social problems. That what all of these things have done is it has made these people rejects. That the religious community sees them as cursed by God. And so they're, they don't have clean, happy, moral lives. They're not all-American people. <laughs> you know, they're blind. They're, uh, uh, they're poor. They're leprous. And Jesus is going, right? And, and, and John is saying, why aren't you taking out the king? And Jesus is saying, I'm going to being a friend to these broken, marginalized people. I love them. That's what I'm spending my time doing. That's what the Messiah is doing. And, uh, and he says the same thing at the end. Uh, look at verse 34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking... And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And um, I'll tell you that um, it, that's what Jesus is saying, is I'm a friend to the broken. I'm a friend. That, that's why when you go down, what do you get? You find Jesus as a friend. You know, I'll tell you, I, I've been a pastor eight months now, and uh, <laughs> really been in it. And, um, and you know... You know, I can't tell you how many times I get to the end of a week. Okay, you know, as a pastor, I have to get. I get up every every week, every Sunday. God is good. Believe it. Believe the gospel. It's real. You know, um, it's worth your life, right? I and and the Bible also says, it is my calling to be an example of godliness to you. <laughs> That's my calling, which I take very seriously. And at the same time, I am sinning every single day in word, thought, and deed in my family. I'm doing that every single day. I'm supposed to be a, this, a, an example to you. And so I can't tell you how many times it comes to the end of the week and it's, I'm struggling to write a sermon. I've got to get up, tell the gospel, tell it it's good news. And I'm on my knees before God and I say, God, please just <laughs> give, show me mercy. And I have this picture in my head that God's grace and kindness, you know, that helps sinners. It's like this big vat of water. And I think, oh gosh, I've been, I've been going to the vat a lot. Uh, <laughs> what if it's dried up? What if I've used it all up? And, I, and I'm not kidding you. I'm, I'm saying, because I, I, we think that God's like us. You know, okay, hey, listen, I'm, I'll give you a break a few times when you're getting started. You know, you're a new pastor. I'll help you out, you know. But listen, we can't go on like this forever. You know? <laughs> we can't just me. You know, you gotta, you gotta make it. You gotta make this happen. And so I'm going to my knees. And I'm like, oh, great. I, I don't have a sermon, and I'm gonna go, and the vat's gonna be empty. And I can't tell you every time. The vat's not just not empty. It's spilling over. It's like wastefully spilling over. It's like gushing over. And Jesus loves that. He's like, this, is, this isn't just the beginning. This isn't just to help you in your first eight months as a pastor. I'm going to give you some grace. This is going to be your whole life. You know, the fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners, that, you know, I've been short with my wife, that I've, I've been lazy, I, I have not prayed enough, uh, and I'm, I'm supposed to be a pastor. And, you know, and by the way, you know, I'm not sitting at home 
eating potato chips, <laughs> watching Matlock and Price is Right all week, and then praying for praying for a sermon at the end. That's not. I'm working. But you know, how have I done enough? At what point have I done enough? Have I worked hard enough? Have I uh, have I prayed enough? Have I served and served God, obeyed God enough? Never. I'm never going to get to the end of the week writing my sermon and be able to say that. And, and so the Christian life, the finding Jesus is a friend to sinners. That's not just the beginning. That's not just, okay, that's how I got into this. Now it's, start, now it's time to start the religious formalism. Now it's time to be a good all-American moral person. No, that's not it. That's, that's every day. I'm going to be sinning every day. And every day, and, and Jesus glories in that. He loves that he is a friend to the broken and the sinners. Uh, people who are failing. And the expectation, get ready. That's going to be your life. But the thing that's amazing is if you, if you don't do that, if you don't think that that's what the Christian life is, you say, I'm going to be a religious formalism, you know, it's all going to be rational. It's all going to be level. It's going to be unengaged with God. But if you go down and you say, I'm a sinner. I've been, I've been short of my wife. I'm a pastor. I'm, a, I, I'm supposed to be a Christian. And I, I, I'm not even, my heart's cold towards God. And you all of a sudden find Jesus and he says, I love you. That that is, is overflowing. Don't, don't worry about it. You could not possibly exhaust the vat if you wanted to. You couldn't do it. You think your sin is just multiplying and going crazy? I assure you my grace is, is abounding, is outrunning your sin. It's way faster. It's way bigger. It grows way faster. You couldn't, you couldn't outrun it. And that, that's the Christian life. And when you do that, guess what? Are you going to start dancing and weeping? <laughs> is your heart going to become alive then? That's when your heart comes alive. That's when you get relationally engaged. It's not by coming and saying, I'm going to be the religious person. You come to Jesus, I'm a sinner. This is a community of sinners. And that's when we're going to get a pulse. Okay, let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we are amazed. You are a friend to sinners. We, uh, we have seen how many times we have sinned and you, you have not left us. You are near to us, and your grace is overflowing, is abundant. Lord, help us to believe that. Help us to live in that. And give us the courage to go down. Know that we need to go down before we'll ever come up. Um, help us to speak our sin to you, to one another. Help us to really look at our hearts. And uh, so we thank you uh, that um, we can do that because uh, it's, it's in your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.